the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Lots to talk about, so let's have at it. Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Laura Babcock is the host of The O Show and has a company called Power Group Communications. And Mark Warner is an international trade lawyer. Good morning to y'all, and let's uh, just move to the next station of the cross, I guess, in the Greenbelt scandal, and that is simply that the uh, Ford, you know, Doug Ford and his Tories are taking a hit in the polls. Um, we're not even halfway through this mandate, Laura Babcock, so I don't know that it's that worrisome, but it definitely shows that people are paying attention. It does, especially for sort of the dog days of August when the scandal broke. And it's not just a couple of points slippage. It's the fact that there's a seven point drop from dedicated voters. Right. So those are people you would expect to be loyalists to the party or to the Ford government. And so that means that this matters. And yesterday they came out and tried to clean up from an extremely messy weekend of the scandal only growing by saying that effectively they'll review lands, but they're also going to open up review, it sounds like, of more of the green belt, which is a headline that a lot of places kind of didn't focus on, which says that they spun it pretty well yesterday. It was a bit of a confusing message. Uh, And so what ended up happening is even the mayor of Hamilton got the headline wrong and said it was welcome news until she was told to look a little more closely. And so I I think that, you know, they might have dodged a little bit of the scandal yesterday by making it even more confusing for people. But at the end of the day, when they start looking at other parcels of land uh, or when people start to really challenge their merit qualifications, which, you know, sounds pretty subjective and, and like a PR trick to me, uh, I think there's going to be increased anger even at the municipal level. So they're not out of the woods on this, and, and those numbers should alarm them a little bit and other MPPs in the caucus. Tim Hudak used to lead this party, so how much did you pay attention to polls? Do you think this is part of the Premier's briefing manual this morning? Well, 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 you do, but they're not the whole deal, right? right. Um, so I think I think the risk here is that uh, well, part of the magic of Doug Ford was that he was for the little guy that helped him, you know, swing people who may have voted NDP to the Conservative Party. So anything that that risks that and puts him on the side of the the well connected, the well off, you know, could be radioactive for his image. What I think is most interesting here, though, John, is, is the pivot there they're taking. They, they took far too long. Uh, to squelch this. They, uh, I think there's a sense of loyalty the Premier had to his minister and wanted to keep him there in place. But now he's actually doubling down and going back to what they should have done in the first place, and that is a comprehensive review of any requests they've seen to see on balance, is it environmentally sensitive and should be protected, or is it near servicing transportation networks and could be put towards homes people could actually afford. So if they actually land that, the right process they should have had from the get-go, it does have an interesting debate then, but the Conservatives saying, yeah, we'll take some land out will put more in to build homes it's not environmentally sensitive and the other two parties are going down the path of under no circumstances ever would a single blade of grass come out of the green belt it's a good debate and mark warner it's clear that some controversies kind of hit pay dirt and others don't i don't know that anybody ever really got all that heavily invested in the Shawcross principle but when you've got land being freed up and billionaires making billions people take notice yeah, I think this is a very confusing issue, John, because, you know, as I said last time we were on, you know, people who have no interest in conflicts of interest or process issues are all of a sudden fascinated by it. And I think that this is the conflation of the substantive issue. Where there are a lot of people who have very strong opinions about the green belt and are using that other stuff. Now, I think if they clean up the process part of it, 
that's probably going to help them out because I don't actually think most people are as fired up on the environmental issue, the green belt issue, as as the as the media class, the chattering class of Toronto are. And you know, I've been around this issue with my Forrest Gump existence. I'm sorry for some people who hate that, <laughs> you people, but my father was director of planning in Pickering in the late 1970s. So. I've always had trouble with the with the marketing around the green belt issue from McGinty because I kind of remember these discussions around the dinner table well, in the late seventies. And worth emphasizing, so I, I mean, they confiscated. Well, they actually they they bought out, they expropriated a bunch of land for an airport that never got built. Yeah, there are still abandoned yeah. houses there. And I know that too, but but also on specifically on the green belt part of it, though this part of it, they, 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 the McGinty renamed it. He did something, and it's sort of this. It's like, like everything nowadays becomes sort of like a charter. It's in there. It's not going to change, and it never really was that. Now the fact that the chattering classes wanted it to be that <laughs> didn't mean that it ever was that either when McGinty did it or the stuff that I was familiar with from the late 1970s. So I don't think that part of the issue is going to stick. To be honest, the process stuff, if they can clean it up, I think will actually uh, yeah help. John, if I may, I agree with Mark in the sense that I think there are some people who are more focused on the actual green belts and the preservation and the blade of grass, as Tim said. But I think a lot of people more broadly, at least when I hear from neighbors over the fence type thing, is about the, the corruption, the idea that certain people are making billions while many others didn't have theirs stuff looked at you know the envelopes that were passed at the dinner that's the kind of stuff that resonates with the public more broadly so i think it, it will extend its tentacles into other questions about the ford government's policies and other files and that's where the danger lies yeah i, I would agree that it has the tropes of scandal even if it may not actually in the end amount to corruption uh, let's uh, move to affordability and housing for a second and tim i'll start with you on this one because it's uh, basically your wheelhouse um, a new study finds that even if the market crashes in Toronto by like 16 or 20 percent, houses are still not going to be affordable. No, in, in fact, the housing affordability crisis, I would argue, is is deepening because it's that much more expensive to uh, get the mortgage and fewer people are putting their homes in the market. So there are fewer choices out there. Look, look, you don't you don't make housing more affordable by making everybody more poor. You don't make housing more affordable by ensuring their dollars don't go as far. The only way to make housing more affordable, John, is to build more homes people can actually afford. First time buyers, move up buyers and middle class. That's where government should focus every ounce of energy. Mark Warner, I guess it's always worth noting that all of the people on this panel, if I, I believe anyway, um, bought houses and bought them before this market went nuts. And so we're kind of spoiled. Unless you sold. That's <laughs> again. Yeah. No, look, I mean, I, I, I can't ever get too excited about all this stuff because obviously, you know, if you want to sell, you have to buy something else and you're going to buy, if you want to stay in Toronto, you're going to have to buy into an increased market. So uh, I don't know that anyone had a thought that, that I, I, the headline of this article was weird to me that affordability is not coming back. Is there anyone out there who thought affordability was we're going to return to the Toronto housing market no. or any big city housing market? So, so I, yeah, okay. So uh, sky is blue news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you get the last word then, Laura Babcock. And it's worth noting, I was saying much earlier in the show today that, you know, we one day the newspapers are all over the idea that houses are too expensive. The next day, everybody's caterwauling about the fact that the prices are coming down because of the bank Canada. Yeah, I mean, to Mark's point, Sky's Blue News, nobody expects that major city 
communities across Canada are going to be affordable anytime soon. But I think from your point, John, sitting here as homeowners, right, who are sitting on this asset that has increased in value, even if it's kind of leveled off in the last year or so, think about people in the rental market. I mean, right here in Hamilton, it costs more for a crappy little two bedroom than it does for my mortgage of, you know, a house with four bedrooms and a fair sized property. So how crazy is that? So when we talk about the housing market, I just want us to remember that there are so many people who can't even access it. And it goes back to, yes, the Greenbelt scandal, the idea that some of these houses won't be built for 25 years and they're hardly going to be starter homes or affordable for people. Hence, you know, why go into the Greenbelt for that? We should be doing intensification and cities have plans to densify and create more affordable units for people right now. Well, and Laura, it's funny you mentioned rentals because Pat Foran had a great report on CTV last night about two sisters who live in a downtown condo and their landlord said, I want to raise the rent, monthly rent to 3500 They said, no. He said, fine, it's 9000 And now they're facing the prospect of having to find a new place to live. I want to talk about a conversation we had earlier on the show this morning with an expert about teens being unable to distinguish truth from fact on the internet. And Mark Warner, I I appreciate this study was focusing on teens, but I think this applies to everybody. A lot of people buy all sorts of crap off the net and have no idea that it's not true. I think it's true, John, but I think it's a lot more complicated than than is implied by this study. Because, you know, for instance, people who follow me on Twitter will know last night I was having some fun at the Canadian government that tweeted something out about how they won some trade dispute, which they clearly lost against New Zealand. And people all over the world who I'm familiar with were laughing at Canada. So here's the deal, is that there's a lot of misinformation, right? There is, And not all of the misinformation is, is coming from one side. And so, uh, you know, this is why we need to be more careful, right, with government messaging and spinning and all that sort of thing. And, and, and I think so. I, I think that in an environment where there is so much misinformation, so much spinning that's done even by government authorities, we saw that in COVID as well around AstraZeneca. Remember when every journalist in Canada became an AstraZeneca salesperson? That's ridiculous. So, look, I think there are problems, but it's much more complicated than this study implies. Yeah, well, Tim Hudak, you've got two youngins in the house. Are you going to try to media-proof them? You do your best. This is something that's actually a little bit with a nine-year-old, but quite often with our 15-year-old just finds his internet and asks us if if they uh, are true or not. It's actually a good exchange. I'm pleased that she has the trust to ask us these things. And I I guess what our role in parents is just to ground them in good judgment, to question their sources, to see if things add up and, and make sense. Would I have done this with my parents? Yeah, I guess so. From what I heard from my buddies down the street, I didn't have the internet, so it's much greater today. And Laura Babcock, one of the problems would be sometimes it's not about being hoodwinked. It's about somebody feeding you information that confirms something you wanted to believe in the first place. You know, somebody sent me yesterday a headline that said uh, ivermectin had been approved for treatment of COVID, which it hasn't. Yeah, confirmation bias is something that we really lean into as humans, right? Also, our brain has a propensity to find patterns and things. So when they're easily supplied, we go for that. We have a narrative bias where we want to have stories told to us. We'll recall them better. I mean, these are, I used to teach marketing, and these are all marketing appeals that can be used. There's a there's a way to get people in their, in their mind to be tricked. What I teach my kids is the following. Just 
think about who benefits from whatever information you're getting, whether it's a rumor at school or something online or a new product you've heard about, who's benefiting from giving you this information? Is it a monetary benefit that they're getting out of it? Is there some sort of ideological benefit they're getting out of it? And then test back against sources. And so for them, they kind of get it now a little more quickly where it's like, okay, yeah, no, you're right, mom. This story is benefiting from me believing that this certain thing could cause harm or should be part of my diet. Now I'm going to look into it more closely and just critical thinking. That's what you got to give your teenagers. Thanks a lot. Great conversation. Mark Warner, Laura Babcock, and Tim Hudak. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.